All right, so this is an idea that has been cooking around for a little while, which is uh, a book on parenting. Ah, I hear you say perhaps up front, dude, you've been a parent for a little over 13 months. Who are you to tell me about parenting? Well, I think, of course, that uh, the most important things are at the beginning, and I would say that it's really the first year, or at least uh, 18 months of parenting, that is most important. And uh, so I'm pretty... Uh, <laughs> I'm uh, fairly along that road, and I went in with a strong theoretical basis for my parenting experiment, and uh, I will not kid you, it was an experiment, and uh, it was uh, really philosophical. It's philosophical parenting is what, I'm, uh, is what I'm talking about, and my philosophy, of course, is informed by voluntarism, by the free market, by empiricism, and uh, by a fundamental acceptance of the power of morality, because the world is ruled by those who define moral systems of punishment and reward. And uh, so I assume that everybody wants to be good, and that's why everybody works so hard to figure out how to define virtue to serve their own sadly nefarious ends. But my parenting was very much informed by these uh, these traditions. Uh, of course, uh, as a uh, a full supporter of the non-aggression principle, I clearly could never in any way, shape, or form initiate violence against my child. And one of the challenges in that context, of course, is that violence against children includes verbal violence, uh, verbal aggression, uh, raising your voice, calling names, uh, harsh tones, and it also includes withdrawal. Uh, this is a form of uh, aggression, uh, unwanted aggression against children. Why? Well, because uh, clearly we understand that if I just walk up and bop somebody in the nose with my fist out of nowhere, they can't avoid, they can't really avoid it unless they just stay home forever, right? So they can't really avoid it. And therefore, uh, it is the initiation of force. Uh, if I say to somebody, you know, meet me at uh, this street corner in New York in 12 days at 6 a.m., and I will bop you in the nose, and they show up, we can understand that they have at least to some degree participated in their own boppedness. So children don't have the capacity to avoid, obviously, physical violence. They don't have the capacity to avoid verbal aggression because they don't know. If you're in a verbally abusive relationship as an adult, then you can choose to leave, and you've also chosen to be there. But children, of course, fundamentally don't choose their parents in any way, shape, or form. And therefore, verbal aggression against children, uh, obviously, it, it damages them. And if you have any doubt about that, you can look at my Bomb in the Brain series on YouTube or in the podcast stream. But um, uh, it does damage. Uh, verbal aggression does damage to a ch child's mind. And uh, so... So it is the initiation of force to verbally aggress against a child because a child has no choice whether to be there or not. Now, the other aspect is um, withdrawal. And since children can't fend for themselves or even find their home if placed two blocks away, at least at Isabella's current age, because of that, uh, withdrawal is a threat. Right. I mean, we understand that if I place somebody in solitary confinement and refuse to feed them uh, or threaten to refuse to feed them, then that is a... Uh, a, a significant punishment, right? If I if I say to you, who I don't even know, sorry, she's uh, she's back there, but she's just a little a little, much, little too much light coming in, and I can't solve that. If I say to you, I'm not going to feed you, I'm sure you'll survive. But if I, I lock you in my basement and then say, I'm not going to feed you, or I'm going to withdraw from you, or I'm not going to come uh, and uh, bring you water, then that is uh, a significant punishment. Um, that's different than if you were just some guy. And, you know, children are essentially locked in the basement of the family. They didn't choose to be there. They've been kidnapped, so to speak. They're locked in the basement of the family. That doesn't mean that the family is bad or wrong, but it means that we have to approach the ethics of child raising with that understanding that children are um, morally equivalent to prisoners in the home.
And uh, again, that has nothing to do with the fundamental ethics of the family. That uh, That is just the reality that they didn't choose to be there and they can't get away. And that doesn't mean that they can't have an enormous amount of fun and, and so on, but you need to, you know, you need to parent. My approach to parenting has always been that Isabella didn't choose me as a father, but I want to parent as if she had that choice and therefore would choose me. Or I would like to ask her when she's older, is there any other father that you would rather have in the world? And if she says uh, yes then uh, I need to figure out why and adapt my parenting to meet her needs better. I think that's really, really important. You have to parent as if your child, so so that your child would choose you out of a voluntary situation, even though she's not in a voluntary uh, situation. So I think that's really, really, really important. You have to have greater sensitivity and empathy towards children because they're not there voluntarily than you would towards any other relationship that you could conceivably have. I mean, we understand that if you were assigned a wife and you wanted her to really love you, oh, almost done, boo-boo, we're just about to turn. If you were assigned a wife and you really, really wanted her to love you, then what you would do is you would have to be extra attentive and extra romantic and extra loving and extra empathetic because she was assigned to you. So you'd already have that barrier to overcome. Whereas if your wife chose you, at least you could say, well, you know, you're here by choice. So the standards should be higher in involuntary relationships than they are in voluntary relationships. Far, far higher. And I think that's really, really important. But that's something that unfortunately so often just goes the other way, right? That the standards are lower in involuntary relationships than they are in voluntary relationships. And therein, of course, lies the tragedy of the family that so often plays out uh, with such negative effects in the world. So... I think that it's really, really important as a parent to recognize that you don't have the right to initiate force against your child. You certainly don't have the right to initiate physical force, and you don't have the right to initiate verbal aggression or abuse, and you don't have the right to threaten withdrawal or to order them away. And I am growing increasingly skeptical towards the concept of uh, timeouts, but uh, I am not, I'm going to withhold judgment on that because I don't think I've hit that stage yet. So um, I have a theory as to how it's not going to be necessary, but I'm not going to put my entire hat on that. I will see uh, how that, uh, how that occurs going forward. So if you don't have the right to aggress against your children uh, verbally, uh, emotionally, uh, physically, or through the threat of withdrawal, then the question is always always arises, well, how do you discipline them? And that, of course, is a question that I believe is answered by free market economics. Free market economics, wouldn't you know? And the answer to that is that, I mean, there's, there's sort of two fundamental ways of trying to get things done in the world, right? I mean, you can either threaten people or you can entice people, right? That is, uh, uh, that's really all there is to it. Uh, it's the difference between the free market and the state, right? So to, to inflict education on your children, the state forces you to pay for that education. Uh, and if you don't pay for it, they throw you in jail and blah, 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 right? And if you compete without a license, they will throw you in jail. And so, so understand, that's just compelling people, right? On the other hand, and this is, I'm sure, going to date the podcast in the future, but uh, Apple has uh, come out with something called the iPad, which is, um, uh, you know, it's a, it's an iPod Touch that ate a very large meal of steroids. And uh, in that, uh, then nobody's forcing anyone to buy it. They're just trying to entice you with, you know, sexy features and, uh, you know, cool touch interface and so on. And that is something that is uh, very different, and it's very much in opposition to what occurs in the state. The state forces you to do things, the market entices you to consume things or to utilize things. And those are huge differences. The one is the threat of punishment, the other is the promise of reward. And the reward is, interestingly enough, the reward in the free market is not something that is kept from you and then provided to you. Like the free, it's not a reward to say, 
or you don't get any dinner. And then if the child complies, you then feed the child dinner. That's not a reward because you're withholding something that the child would normally get. And it's not like I normally get <laughs> an, an iPad, but if I don't praise Apple, I won't get one. Uh, it's not like that, right? I mean, I'm getting a, a net positive in my life, uh, not the removal of a negative or the removal of an expected positive. So saying you don't, you won't get your, you'll get paid your allowance if you do your chores. That is, um, uh, threatening to take something away that the child is expecting, which is not really how the free market works. The free market works with the massive challenge of positive enticement. And so for many moons before my wonderful daughter was born, uh, I thought long and hard about how uh, discipline is going to work. And I guess the first thing is to, to try and figure out what is meant by discipline. I mean, I think that's really, really important. Well, what is, what is meant by discipline? And for me, discipline fundamentally comes down to keeping my daughter safe. That that really is, that's really what it comes down to. There's no discipline in roughhousing and tickling her, right? There's no discipline in that. Um, but there is, you know, we don't want her to touch plugs. We don't want her to touch electrical cords and so on. And so we've been sort of persistent in the nose as far as that goes. So that is um, uh, discipline in terms of keeping her safe. She's a fantastic explorer of the world. And uh, she's very, uh, uh, you know, she's very keen to get around and figure out new things. So that's one aspect of discipline is that the most fundamental discipline is for the child to engage in behaviors that are going to keep her safe or not engage in behaviors that will endanger her, of course. But there's a more fundamental aspect to discipline. So for instance, if you don't want your child to be aggressive, then you can do, I guess, one of two things. You can either not be aggressive with your child and thus model that peaceful behavior. And therefore, the child, certainly in my experience, Isabella doesn't have an aggressive bone in her body uh, because she's never heard a harsh word. She's never had anyone raise their voice uh, voice at her. She, she's never had any sort of, there's been no threats of withdrawal or anything like that. Um, so she's never experienced any aggression. And so she doesn't exhibit aggression. That to me is the most fundamental way to, quote, discipline the child, which is to model the behavior that you want. And that's really tough for parents because uh, a baby really is uh, a mirror of, of who you are. A child is a mirror of who you are. And if you don't like that mirror of who you are, then um, you're going to have sort of, quote, a problem with the baby. But the problem really is with your own behavior. It's not with, it's not with the baby uh, himself or herself. So rather than be aggressive with Isabella and then have to discipline her for being aggressive, which again just causes an, an ever upwards escalation in aggression, uh, I have simply chosen, I'm not saying it's an easy choice, but I, I've simply chosen to not model aggressive behavior for my daughter. Right? She doesn't know what aggressive behavior looks like. I don't expect her to be aggressive any more than I expect her to break into fluent Mandarin, a language that she's never been exposed to. She does not speak the language of aggression. And to me, that is the most fundamental I mean, it's a big risk, right? Say, well, because children need, you need to be assertive or aggressive with children uh, in order for them to, you know, because children are born uh, bestial and, and aggressive and they'll just push and take. And that's really not the case. At least, it's certainly not the case in our family. Um, Isabella is exceedingly gentle and uh, very sensitive. And uh, I believe that it's because her natural empathy has been allowed to flower in the absence of any kind of aggression or harsh language or ugliness or unpleasantness or, or hostility or anything like that. And that's equally true uh, between my wife and myself. We don't, uh, we never raise our voice at each other. We don't call each other names. We just, that's not part of our vocabulary. And so my daughter doesn't see that in her parents and she doesn't experience that from her parents. And so it would, to me, be a, a proof of demonic possession in a sense if she were to have all of these aggressive tendencies because it would be like her learning a language that she'd never been exposed to. And I think that's really, really, really important. 
uh, people say, and they reverse this all the time, right? They say, they do this with the free market all the time. They say, well, financial crisis is the result of the free market. No, no, no. The financial crisis is the result of uh, the initiation of violence through government regulation and intervention, through government control and manipulation of money supplies and and interest rates and uh, housing markets and so on. And so people then say, well, we need regulation to cure the free market, when in fact it is regulation that has caused the problems in the same way, in the same way. Parents say, well, I need to be aggressive with my children because my children are aggressive and I need to restrain them. It's like, no, no, no. They are aggressive, in my opinion, because you have modeled aggression towards them. Your aggression came first and their aggression is, uh, as a response, is as a modeling of your behavior. Children are just incredible sponges and almost perfect mirrors of, of your behavior. They will do what you do, for better or for worse. They simply... Oh, boo-boo, almost done. They simply mimic everything that is occurring uh, around them, and it really is astounding. I mean, you use the broom twice, and Isabella now wants to sweep the entire house, including the roof and uh, the, the ceilings. But that is a very, very important aspect. You don't, If you don't stimulate the behavior, you don't need to control the behavior. If you do not model aggression and inflict aggression, you will not need to manage aggression in your children. Again, is that a universal proof? Of course not. But it is certainly my experience. And what can happen to one person uh, is uh, certainly opens it up as a possibility. And I would really, really strongly, strongly advise you uh, to, to consider this as a, as a possible way of parenting. So that, I think, is uh, is very, very important to recognize. So you've got two options. You can either model the behavior that you want in your children, or you can uh, act in a way that you don't want them to act, or act in a manner that you don't want them to act in, and then use additional control to uh, to manage that behavior. And the second one, I just never wanted to do. I never wanted to do. And this went against almost all of the grain of what I had been taught growing up, of what I had learned about parenting, that, you know, you need to... I mean, the the parenting that is sort of mainstream, and I'm no expert on this, right? The parenting that is uh, sort of mainstream, in my experience, is... Uh, that you you need to control your children, that you need to be the boss, uh, that uh, you need to uh, restrain their bad behavior, you need to give them negative consequences for bad behavior and positive consequences for good behavior, and all that. And that has just not at all turned out to be the case. And it's not easy to go against these cultural myths because part of me and perhaps part of you says, well, these myths have to be there for a reason. These accumulated experiences of the species have to be there for a reason. But when you start to think creatively and originally and compare systems which don't work with systems that do work, and of course I'm a massive fan of the free market because it works so well when it's allowed to be free, you have to look at what what does work versus what doesn't work. And... um, it's true, for instance, that uh, uh, you can get things done using using the power of the state, using force, but what you get done is um, is very temporary and very difficult to maintain. Uh, very, and, and you create resistance and you create the need for ever an ever-escalating state of power uh, over those whose behavior you wish to influence. I'm very much around, if you want the man to take off his cloak, turn up the sun, don't turn up the wind, because the wind will just make him clutch his cloak tighter to his... Uh, to his own chest. So I think that's really, really important when it comes to discipline, is that what exactly, what kind of behavior exactly are you trying to control in your child? If it is behavior that you yourself have indulged in, then you have no right to control it in your child through using aggression, because that is just uh, utterly wrong. That is just utterly wrong, and uh, will will be, in my opinion, incredibly counterproductive to, uh, to your child's uh, positive relationship with you in the long run. All right. So another principle that I have used in my parenting that I think is really has been really helpful to me is uh, things like there are certain times when I've had to muscle 
uh, my daughter, right? And those times are when she's uh, hungry uh, or needs a change. Uh, we go to, let's say we go to the library and she has a poop and I have to go and change her and she doesn't want to get uh, changed. Well, uh, then you have to impose your will, unfortunately, <laughs> but uh, that is a reality of parenting. I'm not going to pretend it's not. It obviously does happen. It's very rare. I would say that it maybe happens, say, maybe once a month. I've had to do that. And of course, when she's going to get uh, her, her physical, uh, she's going to the doctor, she doesn't like it. If she has injections, she's not happy. And um, these are all uh, challenges. And you kind of have to, well, you kind of have to make it happen. It's really not uh, not a lot of choices there. And also, of course, with sleep training, we <clears throat> we have a daughter who was not uh, not a good sleeper at all, to say the least. Was waking up every hour or two for an hour uh, or more, and uh, was just unsustainable. I mean, we weren't being the kind of parents we wanted to be. She wasn't getting the sleep she needed for proper development. You know, sleep is as important as other kinds of nutrition, and so we had to. Uh, we ended up sleep training her, which was uh, obviously she didn't want, she didn't like, and caused her some suffering in the moment. So. That, to me, is, uh, is is the question, and it comes down to a question that has long floated around moral philosophy circles. Uh, guy on a flagpole is, you know, is, let's say you're a strict advocate of private property, and uh, someone's drowning. Do you grab somebody else's um, life jacket, even though you don't have permission to grab it ahead of time, uh, or do you not? And... I think that the way that I have uh, attempted to solve this problem, I think with some success, and this is relevant to parenting, is I do think that it's a valid moral proposition to say, if you have every reasonable reason to believe that somebody is going to grant permission after the fact, then it's okay to act without that permission ahead of the fact, right? So if, uh, if, you, if you didn't throw the life jacket to someone because you didn't own it <clears throat> and that someone drowned, I'm sure that the person who said, who, who owned the life jacket would say, are you crazy? Why didn't you throw the life jacket? And you'd say, well, it wasn't my pro- property and so on. It's like, but I wouldn't have had any problem with it whatsoever. I think those are reasonable standards to apply. You can't always get permission ahead of time, but if you reason, reasonably anticipate that permission would be given ahead of time, if the person were able to get permission, right? If you were to shout to this person and say, someone's drowning, so can I use the life jacket? They'd be why are you even asking? Just go save that person, right? So my life jacket gets wet. That's what it's for. And I think that's, that's really, really important. On the other hand, you take somebody's Maserati and you swerve to avoid an ant in the road and you say, well, but the ants, you know, they might say, well, it's okay to drive over the ant. My Maserati is quite expensive. Yeah, that's, so there's some degrees, but there's pretty clear cut cases uh, on the one hand or the other. And particularly if you provide restitution afterwards and so on. So we all understand that grabbing somebody and yanking them is not a particularly nice thing to do. But if that person that you're grabbing and yanking has, you know, headphones on full blast and is about to walk in front of a speeding bus, then the grabbing and the yanking would be received with extraordinary gratitude after the initial surprise and perhaps anger. It would be greeted with extraordinary gratitude, like, thank heavens you just saved my life. I would have been creamed by that crosstown bus. And this is another example. If you weren't to get in front of that, if you weren't to get to, to yank that person back from walking in front of a speeding bus, and somebody would say, well, why didn't you save him? It's like, well, I didn't have permission. It's like, well, of course, he, you know, he wasn't aware. He couldn't give permission. And, you know, it was a ridiculous thing that you respected his, quote, personal space and property, a personal property or self-ownership. And he died as a result of you respecting that, quote, principle. So I think, I think we all understand that, that if it's reasonable to assume you would get permission after the fact, then it's okay to act as if you had that permission before the fact. I think that's all perfectly valid. Now, how does that relate to parenting? Well, when it comes to inoculations, 
to getting her vaccinations. She does not like getting vaccinations. Of course, no kid does. I very much remember not liking getting vaccinations when I was a kid. But I think about when she's 18, if she hadn't been vaccinated and she, she might have gotten sick, uh, she might, uh, uh, you know, have not gone to particular schools because they have vaccination policies. Uh, she may have had to stay home all the time because we were afraid of her getting infections uh, or diseases. And so it would come down to, would it have been okay for us to inoculate you at a time when you could barely, but well, she couldn't even remember it in the f- her first year. Uh, so would you have rather have had that pain, which is, you know, a minute or two come and gone, and be protected against all these diseases. And of course, when she was 18, she would look back and say, well, of course, that's what I want. Now, as far as sleep goes, there are significant studies which say if you have sleep problems at uh, the age of three or two or four, then it's very likely that you're going to have the same sleep problems when you're a senior in college. And this is, uh, this is pretty scientifically well established. Now, I'm one of those people who has uh, sleep problems, and it goes all the way back to my childhood. I've been a light sleeper. It's partly an active mind, but it's also partly just uh, the way I was raised. Now, I'm, so I know what it's like to have sleep issues, and it is uh, a real a real challenge to have sleep issues. It can be quite debilitating. Now, if somebody were to ask me, if you had no memory of the discomfort or the upset or the trauma, if you had no memory of it, and yet you ended up with a lifetime of good and stable sleep, would you have liked to have been sleep trained when you were eight months old or six months old? And of course, I would say, hell yes, I would be overjoyed to have been sleep trained when I couldn't remember the trauma and ended up with a lifetime of uh, healthy and good uh, sleeping. That would be much, much more preferable to me. So after the fact, right, So, and this is the way that I assume it is with my daughter, that, of course, she doesn't like being sleep trained and she's it's genuinely upsetting to her, like really upsetting to her, which I completely understand and, and really sympathize with. But if I were to give her, when she's older, the choice to say, well, we didn't sleep train you because it was upsetting for you for a short period before you could even form long-term memories, but you've ended up with a lifetime of sleep problems or at least sleep challenges, were you happy that we didn't sleep train you? She would say, no, I'm not happy that you didn't sleep train me. I would much rather ended up, have ended up with a lifetime of good sleep habits and have trauma that I can't even remember uh, at a time when I couldn't process or store long-term memories. I would much rather you have uh, sleep trained me. Uh, similarly, of course, you know, we can get to sort of silly extremes. Like if we, uh, if we didn't change her diaper, then, um, you know, she would get skin rashes and skin sores and might end up with uh, some significant health issues and so on. And if we were to say to her when she was older, if she had, you know, scabs or scars or whatever, right, skin grafts or some godforsaken thing, if we were to say to her when she got older, we didn't change you because we thought that you'd want, you would rather have an extra half an hour or 45 minutes playing at the library than change you or, or make sure that you were changed and clean you up and so on. Well, she would say, well, I don't remember the half an hour play at the library when I was one year old, but I do now have these uh, scars or health issues or problems or whatever, right? So that clearly would be permission after the fact, which is, I think, perfectly reasonable. Now, uh, on the other hand, uh, you know, we... I don't think that even after the fact, children would, when they sort of grow up, would say, I'm... I'm I'm totally glad that you yelled at me a lot, right? I'm totally glad that you you hit me. I'm like I'm totally glad you spanked me. I'm totally glad that you I don't know put me in endless timeouts or whatever. I don't think that children would say that, and I think that's the fundamental uh, difference that you would not get permission after the fact for a lot of contemporary parenting choices. Airplane boo boo. That's right. Good good eye. Man, she's got good eyes. And that that's the real difference. And that's how I guide my actions um, when it comes to parenting. 
And here's the challenge, though, right? Here's, here's the challenge, which comes up with, uh, with parenting. And the, the challenge is this. I think we all understand around diapers and sleep training and so on and inoculations. But I think the real challenge comes with this, which is would your children, after the fact, give you permission, right, give you permission to work as hard as you work, to be away from home as much, you are, as, much as you are away from home, if you are away from home a lot? Would your children give you that permission after the fact, right? So if you were to say, well, you know, I worked a lot and really hard uh, because – and I'd take a sort of silly example that obviously serves the case I'm making, and I'm not saying it's the only one, but uh, because we wanted a second car, and you know we wanted to take you to Disney World every three years, so uh, and we wanted a house that was you know 20% bigger than we would have been able to afford otherwise. If you were to say to a child in the, in the moment, uh, do you want the family to have a second car, or do you want mommy or daddy to stay home with you? Right, those are really, really important questions. What permission would you get after the fact? It's really, really important to ask yourself these questions when you're a parent. Would you get permission after the fact to act in this way? Would you rather have mommy home or would you rather have your own room? Right, if you're you know, working gets you a bigger house or whatever. And I'm very much of the inclination and a very strong conviction that what children want is their parents. At least that certainly is the case with my daughter. She's incredibly hungry for parental company. And just loves spending time with my wife and myself and doesn't particularly care about that much else, right? It's time with the parents. That's what she really, really wants. And so when it comes to asking those questions about your own parenting, I think it's really, really important. I mean, if I didn't do this crazy philosophy stuff and uh, was still in my real career, well, I'd have more money, right? So we'd be able to, you know, not go on vacation once every two years, as we're doing now, but uh, twice a year, right? But if I were to say to my daughter, after the fact, was it better for you to go on vacation more often, or was it better for you to have your father home with you every day? What would you prefer? What did you prefer? What was best for you? Now, if she could speak now, I'm quite convinced. I mean, if she could really process that and respond, I'm absolutely convinced that she'd say, no, I want daddy home. I don't really care about vacations, you know, having a few more vacations uh, every year. I want I want my daddy home. That's what I like. And that's what works for me. At least I, <laughs> I, don't know, I, th- I know she would. I know she would say that. After the fact, I think that's, uh, I think that's also a very important question to ask after the fact. When my daughter is... 15, and I say to her, well, you know, because I say to her, look, I made the choice to leave my lucrative career and uh, come and uh, spend time uh, at home, right? That's what I, uh, uh, that's what I chose to do. And because of that, we had less money. So looking back, are you happy that you had a full-time stay-at-home dad, or would you have preferred that we lived in a bigger house, uh, had, you know, that you didn't drive around in a car that was, uh, 12 years old, <laughs> did you like, w- what would you prefer? It's inconceivable to me that she would say, I wish we'd had a, a, a bigger house. I wish we'd had newer cars, you know, and, and I could frankly do without the big chatty forehead circling me 24 seven. That's, that's hard for me. It's hard for me to imagine that, that that would be her preference. And so I have to sort of make my decisions. Uh, and to some degree, you know, I mean, it's the old, like, if I were my own parents, I'd want me to be around and that kind of thing. It's just, it's the best you could do. It's not perfect. No, I was going to come up with the perfect answer. But it's a, this sort of, would I get permission after the fact in the future? Or if my child could articulate now, what would you choose? And of course, the reality is that children are articulating all the time. Children are articulating all the time. In my experience, if you really want to know what your child is feeling, figure out what your child is causing you to feel. And that's 
right? So we had like, I don't know, 25 people over for Christmas. And she, uh, Isabella found it, it was, it was good for, you know, an hour or two or three and then sort of started to get a bit overwhelmed as she was surrounded by these, you know, walking ends of people who were in her house. And she got, you know, very fussy and, and needy and whiny and all these kinds of things to the point where I began to feel really stressed and overwhelmed. And so that was my, I mean, that's, that's what she was feeling. She couldn't communicate it verbally, but she could create those feelings in me. And that was how she communicated what she was feeling. And so I would submit that your children are, in fact, saying to you what their preferences are. So, for instance, um, my wife gets up earlier than I do because she is a saint. <laughs> and um, she takes Isabella and then I will get up uh, after her and you know, brush my teeth and, and wash my face. And then I will. I, I, but the moment my daughter hears me uh, upstairs, because I'm not uh, the lightest spam on the planet, the moment that my daughter hears me, she rushes to the foot of the stairs and starts climbing them because she wants to spend time with me. So that's, you know, that's some indication that um, that's important for her. And so she really is communicating, I think, extraordinarily clearly about um, what her preferences are. And so I have to sort of accept that. If she really wants to spend time with me, if she doesn't sort of, she has this thing where if she wants to spend time with me rather than my wife, then she'll, she'll, she's got this arm. It works like a sort of <laughs> a subway turnstile. It just levers around. If, if she, uh, if I want to pick her up and she doesn't want to be picked up, she'll just push like quite, uh, quite, uh, assertively. She'll push her, ha- my hands away. And so we know when she doesn't want to do something and when she doesn't want to spend time with someone, uh, you know, she's very clear about that. She'll sort of push, she'll push you away, she'll push you to one side and you really can't, uh, you can't be in a whole lot of doubt as to what her real intentions are. And so if she didn't want to spend time with me, that would be really clear. But she really does want to uh, want to spend time with me. And of course, the question then arises, well, is that is wanting to spend time with me the same as, say, not wanting to um, get inoculated or not wanting to have her diaper changed? Well, no, <laughs> obviously. And, I, you know, do I really need to go into the reasons uh, for that, right? Uh, not at all. Uh, of course, the science is very positive towards fathers spending time with children. That fathers help children develop empathy even more so than, than mothers. So there's l- lots of science to back it up. But those are some standards that I have found to be incredibly helpful. I do not look at modifying my child's behavior. I look at modifying my own behavior because I'm fully aware the degree to which she is uh, enthusiastic about imitating me, right? That she is she's a carbon copy. I want to look into my soul. I just look at my daughter's actions and that's the reality. Now, the last thing that I'll uh, talk about and, and please people let me know if you find if you find this stuff helpful and interesting. The last thing I'll talk about is the role of enthusiasm in parenting. I was uh, at the library the other day and there was a mom who was uh, quite uh, down about her daughter not being particularly active, not uh, not walking and not... Uh, uh, she was st- sort of holding herself up a bit, crawling a little bit, but her daughter seemed very listless. And the mom seemed kind of down about it. And, of course, the dad was off reading his computer magazine, on a photography magazine somewhere, which I didn't even want to bother getting into. But... Um, uh, what I, I didn't sort of tell her, but I showed her. So when Isabella did something that I thought was really cool, uh, as she is, as she is wont to do, I was enormously enthusiastic. Like half my, half my parenting day is yippee and well done and yahoo, well done to be dumb, beautiful, wonderful, like being incredibly enthusiastic. And I think it's an error to say that children are not as interested in pleasing their parents as the parents are in pleasing their children. I think that children are very interested in pleasing her par- in pleasing their parents. Certainly, that's my experience. Uh, and I did work in a daycare for a couple of years as a teenager and found that uh, enthusiasm was a very, very powerful toolbox 
Uh, it's a very, very powerful piece of ammunition in your parenting toolbox, so to speak, to mix my metaphors abominably. But enthusiasm is extraordinarily powerful when it comes to uh, to parenting. So when Isabella does stuff, I'm like so enthusiastic, right? So we just went to, um, I went to pick up some child safety devices from Babies R Us, and she's learned the word, the word fan this week. And because I'm slowly getting her to build my name, but she, um, she listened, uh, sorry, she's learned the word fan, which I taught her at the supermarket, and she was saying fan, and I couldn't figure out what she meant, because articulation's not perfect, of course. And then I finally saw that she pointed up, and there was a rotating fan on the ceiling of the baby's arrest. And I was like, oh, man, that's fantastic. Well done, me, I'm so proud of you. Like, yeah, my voice goes up, and I get really enthusiastic. I do a yippee with my hands in the air and all that kind of stuff. And I would, I mean, I, that was pretty conscious on my part. I mean, I, I'm not faking it. I genuinely do feel enthusiastic about about what she's doing. But I would not ever underestimate the power of enthusiasm as uh, as a parenting, as a way of, of, in a sense, encouraging the behavior that you want uh, or the behavior that, you know, hopefully is uh, is just. Because, I mean, if you're a good person, then I think children are naturally drawn to want to please you. If you're a bad person and you're sort of bullying and controlling them, well, I say bad person, but if you have those habits as a, as a parent, then your children are going to be less likely to want to please you because they feel manipulated. Whereas if you're genuinely enthusiastic, I have found that the application of just mad enthusiasm is a million times better than any negative consequences I could invent for uh, to, to encourage my daughter to do things that I like. And that way, I need a very light touch. Because I'm so enthusiastic for the most part, I need a very light, quote, negative touch, right? So if she's going to put her hand towards the plug, and I will say, no, Isabella, no. And because it's so different from what it is that I'm normally doing with the yippies and the yays, she's really quite surprised, and she will stop, and she will look at me, you know, cock her head, and she's perplexed. But I don't need a lot of strong negatives because I have so many strong positives. I think that's really, really important. i say that again. I don't need strong negatives because I have so many strong positives. And that means that any deviation from those strong positives is something that is um, surprising to her. It's of interest to her. And she actually doesn't. She, she does get the no, which is not perfect with it, of course. But <laughs> hey, who's one? I'm not, I'm not one to talk. But I think that's really, really important. You know, there's so much that enthusiasm can do to uh, encourage best behavior that I think uh, that's a million times better. And of course, that's good capitalism in a way, right? To be enthusiastic about a product that is good rather than fear-mongering about, you know, if you don't take this, then X bad will happen. I think that's uh, not so not so good. So these are some parenting things I've talked about, uh, thought about and have found to be incredibly effective and uh, positive. I mean, we have, I have a kid who barely cries. You know, she will, she doesn't cry during the day. She doesn't cry. She'll cry a little at night if she wakes up and she wants to, she wants playtime, but she does not cry during the day. She's incredibly good-natured, incredibly happy. Her development is incredibly rapid. And uh, so I just wanted to share the stuff that I think has really helped bring this about and uh, let me know if you find it of interest.